Hey, Jericho. Hi. Today, Gretchen Carlson is joining us to talk about her new book, Be Fierce. So good. So exciting. And you know what else is exciting? What? ShipStation. So ShipStation is a product that allows you to ship all of your online orders super quickly and easily. They're the number one choice of online sellers. And you can, whether you're on Shopify, Squarespace, Etsy, Big Commerce, or over 75 of the other popular selling channels, they will find the best rates for you. And ShipStation can create shipping labels for all of the top carriers, including UPS, FedEx, USPS, and ShipStation collects all of your orders into one beautiful, easy-to-use interface. And right now, you mm-hmm. can try ShipStation free for 30 days and get an additional month free only if you use our exclusive promo code GIRLBOSS. Don't wait. Go to ShipStation.com, and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in GIRLBOSS. That's ShipStation.com. Enter GIRLBOSS. S-H-I-P-S-T-A-T-I-O-N.com. ShipStation. Make ship happen. Success. It's such a complicated idea, and yet for so long, we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word, which was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions, for side hustles and well-being and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girlboss Media, and this is Girlboss Radio. Today's guest is joining us to talk about one of the most relevant and important and sad issues facing women today. You guessed it, sexual harassment. Last July, Gretchen Carlson came forward with her experience being sexually harassed at Fox by then-CEO, the late Roger Ailes. I wanted to come forward, not just for myself, for all the other women whose voices have not been heard, and mainly for our next generation. Ailes denied the claim, and the suit was settled for $20 million. Ultimately, Gretchen's bravery inspired a movement, and after several other women came forward to share similar stories, Roger Ailes was fired. It's a story that's all too familiar for most of us. We've seen it in the spate of Me Too stories that have come out in recent weeks following the allegations of assault, harassment, and abuse against Harvey Weinstein. We've seen it in the women coming forward about similar experiences in Silicon Valley. And if you pick up Gretchen's book which came out last month, called Be Fierce, Stop Harassment, and Take Your Power Back, you'll see it in so many of the interviews she did, spanning not just Hollywood and Silicon Valley, but every profession and walk of life you can imagine. And what's abundantly clear from all of this is that coming forward can be an excruciating choice for a woman to make. If you are the breadwinner in your family or, you know, you're a single mom trying to make ends meet and you're being sexually harassed, I mean, are you going to just automatically raise the roof and come forward? Not to mention not only losing your paycheck, but then all the names that are associated with you when you do come forward. Today, Gretchen joins us to discuss her new book, which includes a 12-point checklist on what to do if you're being harassed at work and to continue what's become an international movement of women refusing to shut up and sit down. Cultural shifts don't happen quickly, but my goodness, look what's happened in only 15 months since my story broke. It's really amazing that women have been able to dig deep and find the courage to 
come forward in mass. Before we speak to Gretchen, please welcome Girl Boss Editorial Director Jericho Mandiber to the show. Thank you so much. Uh, we're in LA. It's real hot. Yeah, but it's and cold in the studio. You know what the air conditioning is good for? Getting sick. Reading girlboss.com. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about my job. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if you guys know, if you don't know, all I do full time now in a team of like over 10 amazing women is girlboss.com. I mean, we have our Girlboss Rally, which is coming up in just, oh my gosh, less than two weeks. So soon. And we're creating tons of awesome stories every day that Mm -hmm. are relevant to you, whether it's work, relationships, productivity, money. I mean, we talk about beauty. We talk about mental health, wellness. Relationships, politics. Yes. Identity. The whole thing. So... Go to girlboss.com and check it out. And Jericho and I are going to talk a little bit about something that we really loved that we wrote this week. Yeah, and that is a piece that a contributor actually called Anne Ichikawa wrote for us all about getting laid off. And she would know because she's been laid off five times. Oh, my gosh. Have you ever been laid off? That's a that's really bad advice. No, I've laid people off and it's the worst thing in the world. Yeah, that's really hard. It's I I mean, I don't think it's worse than being laid off, though. Yeah, I've never been laid off, thank God. But I think if I did, I would just cry a lot and then sleep for like two weeks. But that's not a good idea, apparently. Um, Anne says that you have to do other things if you want to feel good. Firstly, you have to try and chill, which is easier said than done. But on the day that you get laid off, the best thing to do is just like, yeah, call your friends, have a manicure, do yoga, sleep if that's what you want to do. But don't go like straight into crazy like I need to get a new job um, mode where you're on LinkedIn frantically applying for new jobs. That's what I'd be doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, Apparently like – My company went bankrupt and it was like, oh, my God, my God, my God, my God, another company. (laughs) (laughs) In 24 hours. Whoops. (laughs) Here we are. Yeah. Um, Yeah, because I mean – I think the reason that that maybe is not such a good idea is that you don't necessarily have a strategy and you maybe you're going to rush into the next job without necessarily thinking about, is this still the thing you want to do? Are there other ways to find a job that might be better suited to you? Like, for example, networking, like getting in touch with like all the people that you know that you used to work with or people from companies that you really want to work with and just taking a step back for a second, you know, Mm -hmm. is her advice. Um, I can't tell you how many people have read Girlboss and said, oh, my gosh, I got laid off and I, you know, read your book, whatever. And it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And the book, I think the book has very little to do with it. I think we're all in charge of changing our own lives and changing our own minds. But mm -hmm. it is a nice reminder just, you know, when the unexpected happens to you, it's always an invitation from the universe to say, hey, Maybe maybe I shouldn't have been going in that direction anyway, or maybe there's something better out there for me in that direction. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, I totally agree. And also, just remember that like this isn't the old days where you only have one career for your whole life and one job at one company for your whole life. Like It's probably it's kind of like depressing to realize it's probably not going to be the last time, and you're probably going to shift jobs a lot in your life. So um, just kind of like stay the course and get used to it. Yeah, I mean, I think... <laughs> To, and I would just give some advice on on things that run through people's heads when they do get laid off. Again, probably the last person who should be giving this advice. 
But I think people think that they've been singled out sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I know that is possible in some companies, but often it really, it's, you know, it's like, it's so hard to have something happen in your life where you can't point back to the thing that led to that. You're like, wait, what did I do to manifest this? You want answers. And if you get fired, you can usually, you know, take responsibility for it or be like, wow, that wasn't fair. Or there's something to respond to when you get laid off. There's no answer. It's just kind of like your job was it's eliminated. not personal. And, yeah, I think the thing is it's it's the unfortunate nature of the ebb and flow of building companies and shifts in strategies. And this world is changing so fast. And I think this is part of why you see the rise in freelancers mm-hmm. in that we want to take control of our lives, uh, of our careers, of our time, and not be subjected to the whims of of a company mm-hmm. um, that can be just as stressful. Uh, mm-hmm. Granted, I mean, in, in Nasty Gal's case, I think it was it was a sign of something, you know, that was years years out, eventually happen. But um, it doesn't always mean that in in that company. And with so many startups, you're going to see, you know, so much of that as people learn what works and doesn't work, and pivot and shift mm-hmm. strategies, and you know, move from editorial to video, as so many media companies are doing, or yeah. you know, you name it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's not an apology, or I don't know. <laughs> Was that um, helpful? That was so helpful. Okay. Yeah. I think that you're suck. right. And it does suck, but it's also like, hey, it's life. Yeah. Yep. Just look after yourself and yeah. each other. So you can read all about that at girlboss.com. And Jerko, who was the author again? Anne Ichikawa. All right. Thanks, Anne. You know what's way more fun than getting laid off? What's that? This awesome partnership we're doing with Pinterest. If you guys have been listening to the podcast lately, you know we've partnered with Pinterest to encourage our listeners and ourselves, Mm -hmm. everyone at the office, to try new things. So what if you made Wednesday your official day to make small changes that lead to big results? Well, we're asking you to do just that with the hashtag WhatIfWednesday. So it's easy to participate and you could win some seriously amazing prizes if you do. Mm-hmm. Each week, we're giving away three signed copies of the brand new Girlboss Workbook by Sophia Amoruso. And you can also win free tickets to the Girlboss Rally in New York City. And if you want a chance to win, here's what you need to do. Here on Girlboss Radio, we're going to give you a weekly challenge. So listen up. After that, you can head directly to Pinterest. Girlboss has an amazing hashtag What If Wednesday Pinterest board full of inspiration that'll help you get started on your path to trying new things. And this week, Jericho, what are we wondering? We're wondering what if you tried something new to invest in your personal growth? Mm. So one way to do that is to experience some mindfulness, spark your imagination, and you don't have to go far to find it. It could be as simple as firing up your imagination by reading a book for pleasure. How often do people do that? These days, Mm, I read the back of the book. I read (laughs) girlboss.com. So take a peek at our What If Wednesday Pinterest board to see what incredible thought-provoking books you could start getting acquainted with. We've curated a list of classics that every one of you should read. And then using hashtag What If Wednesday, hashtag girlbossradio, and hashtag MyPinterest on Instagram, share with us what books you're burning through and how they're inspiring you. We'll be sharing our favorites on girlboss.com and reading some responses out next week. Yes, and remember, you could win one of three signed copies of the Girlboss Workbook each week, or you could win two tickets to the next Girlboss Rally. Oh, my God. Last week, we asked you guys to experiment with 80s-style aerobic workouts. It's not the easiest try for our second week, so thank you for bearing with us. But you guys delivered. Here's what some of you said. Lily Casa, that's at 
Lily Casas underscore said, after listening to Girlboss Radio this morning, I decided to get some 80s outfit inspo. I brought out the visor, long socks and bike shorts for a workout, starting off my Wednesday right. Thanks, Lily. And she has a really on point mirror selfie. And again, to possibly win a ticket to the next Girlboss rally in New York, take a peek at our hashtag What If Wednesday Pinterest board and see what incredible thought-provoking books you could start getting acquainted with. So just use hashtag What If Wednesday, hashtag Girlboss Radio, and hashtag My Pinterest on your Instagram post. Mm-hmm. Post your favorite book. This is a really easy one to possibly get a full day of inspiration at the Girlboss rally in New York. Use those three hashtags so we can find you. Mm-hmm. and Give us your recommendations. Have fun. All right, so we're going to talk about me undies for a second. <laughs> um, the softest undies. The softest undies. Uh, very colorful underwear. Your butt will love them. They feel so good. And you can find them at meundies.com slash girlboss. They have tons of styles and patterns to choose from for both men and women. And they'll have the perfect fit for your butt and your personality. I just saw that they have glow-in-the-dark underwear. No way. Whoa. I'm not... I Is like, that true? I turn out the lights for a reason, so that's your <laughs> choice. But, you know, if underwear isn't your thing, they also make the softest socks in the world. I'm sitting on them right now, and mm-hmm. I can assure you they're as clean as they were when I put them on. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so... To get 20% off the best and softest underwear and socks you'll ever own with free shipping and a 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash Girlboss. That's MeUndies.com slash Girlboss. Now, please turn your attention to a woman who is raising the bar for what it means to be fierce. Gretchen Carlson showed so much courage when she came forward to file a landmark sexual harassment lawsuit against Fox News CEO, the late Roger Ailes. And now she's here to talk about her latest book, Be Fierce, Stop Harassment and Take Your Power Back. I grew up in a small town in Minnesota called Anoka, which is the Halloween capital of the world. Oh, what? Why? Very cool. Uh, Because early in like the 30s and 40s, the eve of Halloween was apparently a raucous time where kids got into trouble like egging cars. Oh, fun. (laughs) You know, like really kind of really bad stuff. And so um, my town came up with the first programs to keep families together on the eve. And so Congress deemed them the Halloween capital of the world. And it was really cool to grow up and be able to say that to other people. What was your first job? Well, it depends on what you qualify as a job. So I was a really serious violinist as a child. So I would definitely call that a job because I was practicing like four hours a day and spending my whole life going into competitions and performing with symphonies and things like that. But my real sort of real job, aside from doing that, was uh, working for my dad. Um, He had a car dealership and I answered the phones on Wednesday nights. Oh, wow. Yes. And I got very good at Main Motor Chevrolet Cadillac. Oh, wow. I hear your (laughs) accent. I hear. Oh, you do? Yeah, I hear the Midwest accent. The Minnesota. I've pretty much shed myself of that. But when I go home now and actually listen to the radio there I'm like do I sound like that Uh not that it's a bad thing at all but you can really lull yourself right back into it pretty quickly totally you went to Stanford 
So were you working through college? What did you do after college? Did you go straight into the media? No. Uh, So I gave up the violin at 17 and decided to just really concentrate on my academics and went to Stanford. And then I also studied at Oxford in England. And then my mom had this harebrained idea where she got a brochure in the mail on the Miss America pageant and saw that 50% of the points were based on talent and really wanted me to still use my violin talent to accomplish something. So she said, she called me actually when I was in England. And I was supposed to stay on for an international business program through Georgetown that I had been accepted to. And she was like, nope. She goes, I, I, I think you should really try this because you have the violin talent and you're smart. And this would be something you should you know, attempt to do. I was going to ask, were they devastated when you traded in the violin for an education? I was always a serious student as well. But yes, because of all the time and effort that I had put in honing that as you know, something they thought was going to be my career. Anyway, so she found this other avenue, and then I, I basically thought that was a pretty crazy idea because I had grown up a tomboy and wasn't in pageants at all and had struggled with my weight. And you won. Yeah, I mean, she's a really convincing person. And, I mean, the one thing I guess that's been constant in my life is if you put a goal in front of me, I work incredibly hard to get there. So once that was in front of me, I decided, well, I, I might as well give this 110%. So, And you, that's, you became Miss America. Uh-huh. That's insane. <laughs> what is it like to be Miss America? And, oh. you know, where you stand right now, you know, do you do you still relate to that person? Uh, yes. As far as the, the goal-oriented achieving of person, course. of course. Yeah. Uh, what is it like to be Miss America? Within the first 24 hours, I was uh, annihilated, uh, basically taken down by a female reporter at my first press conference. I had been dubbed the smart Miss America because of where I went to school, and I thought that was a good thing. And within a matter of moments, she decided to prove uh, how what an idiot I was by giving me a test at the press conference and asking me all sorts of ridiculous questions, uh, ending with number 19, have you ever done drugs? And number 20, have you ever had sex? Wow. So pretty demoralizing for a woman who had just accomplished something Pretty spectacular. So not that I'm a huge believer in revenge, but 10 years later, I saw her when I was uh, working in New York City and we were covering the same event. And I thought to myself, should I? And then I went, yep. Uh So I walked up to her when I was done with my live shots and I stuck out my hand and I said, hi, Penny. I said, my name's Gretchen Carlson. When I was Miss America, you tried to take me down. And I just want to let you know that I'm now a correspondent for CBS News in New York and you're not. What did she, did she, she had nothing to say. I'm sure she didn't recognize me. I didn't wait around long enough to see a reaction. I turned around yeah. as fast as I could and marched away. But uh, yeah, so so being Miss America really uh, taught me amazing skills with regard to communication and standing up in front of people and giving speeches extemporaneously. Uh, it also taught me to have an incredibly tough skin, which was much needed for the venture that I just went through in my life. I'm sure your skin needs to be increasingly tough in the world that we're in today. Mm-hmm. And you have a new book, Be Fierce. Right. Tell me about your new book. So uh, it's all about my experience of jumping off a cliff at Fox News where I was last employed in television and bringing to light the issue of sexual harassment that's rampant in the workplace and how to give that courage and bravery to other women to do the same thing and also a call to action for men to be part of our team because without them we're not going to be able to accomplish this mission. Mm-hmm. One of your first big assignments at the start of your career was the Anita Hill case. Mm-hmm. I mean it doesn't seem like we've made a lot of progress since then 
Why do you think there aren't any consequences for these powerful men? And why do you think so little has changed since then? Mm -hmm. So, yes, ironically, when I had my first job in television in Richmond, Virginia, I covered the Anita Hill hearings. And I remember thinking at the time, well, I believe her. You know, and I was shocked at the way she was treated as if she was a liar. And I think what came out of that was that a lot of companies then instituted sexual harassment training, but they did it more as kind of a cover-your-ass facade rather than really getting to the heart of the issue to change it, right? And so all this time passed, and then my story came out, and we were kind of like, well— what has really changed? This is a systemic issue that sometimes seems to do more to protect the predators than their prey. I asked Gretchen to tell us about the ways companies design contracts with arbitration clauses. Most of sexual harassment cases are settled in a secret fashion, mm -hmm. either in settlements where the women can never tell you what happened or in something called forced arbitration, which is prevalent now in employment contracts, mm -hmm. which is also a secret chamber, not an open court. Mm -hmm. So when you're settling the majority of these cases in that fashion and the general public's not hearing about them, then we're falsely led to believe as a society that we've eradicated this problem. Mm -hmm. And so I think what my story did was really open the floodgates for women to suddenly feel brave and courageous enough to also come forward. And I realized that when I started hearing from thousands of women across the country immediately that, oh, my gosh, this is an epidemic. It's everywhere. It's in every profession. It's not just, you know, Hollywood and television. It's waitresses and Wall Street bankers and the military. I mean, it's absolutely everywhere. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that the experiences you had with Roger Ailes weren't the first time that you were sexually harassed. Mm -hmm. What was it about that last experience that pushed you to f come forward? Uh, it was really because I had given 25 years of my life to this career of television. And when I realized that somebody else was making the decision for me to end my career, at least at that place, that I wasn't going to have that be the last word. Mm -hmm. And that I wanted to come forward, not just for myself, for all the other women whose voices have not been heard, who I chronicle in the book, and mainly for our next generation. Yeah, I'm a mom. And I, I really, when I look into the eyes of my daughter, who's 14, I really don't want this to happen to her. Yeah. I think it's easy in the world that we live in, you know, when we go through the corporate culture and we are exposed to this kind of treatment for so long that, you know, the unwritten rule seems to be that if we don't come forward and talk about it, uh, we get to keep our jobs and everything is fine. And, you know, as long as like nobody's doing any, I mean, and people put up with much more than harassment and and don't talk about it. And, you know, it's a personal choice to come forward about it. But I think what you've done and what so many women are doing right now makes it possible and takes some of the stigma out of doing that. Thank you. I mean, I just want to also mention that it's an excruciating choice to build up that courage. Yeah. You know, and so many people have said to me, well, why did you wait so long? And you know, why didn't you just, you know, blow it out of, you know, you know what, right away? Well, listen, that is that is not a realistic scenario for most women. Mm -hmm. Courage is not something that you just decide to do in one night. It's a process. And 
that's why I would never criticize any woman for the timing of when she decides to come forward because it's such a personal choice. And by the way, if you are the breadwinner in your family or you know, you're a single mom trying to make ends meet and you're being sexually harassed, I mean, are you going to just automatically raise the roof and come forward? I mean, you it, work hard enough to get to where you are. Exactly. And so it's it's an incredibly tough choice, not to mention not only losing your paycheck, but then all the names that are associated with you when you do come forward. You're mm. a liar. You're a cheat. And you just Google you just want search money. results. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't care so much about about. It's hard that. to control, regardless. Right? Yeah, I mean, I expected the attacks, uh, but I, I one hundred percent understand why women up until this point had not come forward. Yeah. And so, wait, I saw that Bill O'Reilly is taunting you right now with handwritten thank you notes that you gave him like a really long time ago to make it seem like he's a good guy. Is that really happening? (laughs) This is like the classic strategy of uh, what companies, uh, some companies do to try and shift the blame. Uh I'll just say this, that as I said, I grew up in a small town in Minnesota and boy, am I glad my parents gave me some good discipline and polite manners. Mm-hmm. Uh, they told me to write thank you notes to every single person, and I still do it. And I still write, have my kids write thank you notes as much as they don't like to do it because I think it's really important to have that human connection. I agree. So I guess I'll just leave it at that. It really has nothing to do with being sexually harassed. No. Yeah. No. And we just found out this past weekend that Bill O'Reilly was invited to come back on the air. His contract was renewed after settling a $32 million suit. And he's obviously since been terminated. But we live in a culture that's repeatedly promoted men who have bragged about abusing women. Mm -hmm. And we unfortunately have one in the White House who's seen on video making lewd, vile comments about women and grabbing us. What do you think it says about our society that this is allowed to persist? Mm -hmm. Well, let me take the first one uh, first. I think it's outrageous that companies would rehire somebody after knowing about those kind of allegations that the person was actually dismissed for. And it's horrifying the lengths that some companies will go to protect these harassers. And we've seen it time and time again. We've seen it with the Harvey Weinstein story. There's no way that other people didn't know about that and help him to cover it up and shut up the victims in the process. So you know what? If this is finally the tipping point where this isn't going to be – it's not going to be acceptable anymore to women and to men, well, bravo to all of us in 2017, but it's been a long time coming. With regard to the president, you know, every person in America still has the ability to have their own personal vote. So it's a little bit different than somebody who's in charge of a company and being able to fire that person. Mm -hmm. I will say that I wrote a New York Times op-ed shortly after – Trump was elected. And it really focused on what I believed to be central to that Access Hollywood tape and to the eight or more women that came forward and said that he sexually harassed them. And that is that in my mind, I don't care what your politics are. It depends on how you treat human beings. And that was such an affront to how anyone should treat anyone else that I hope millions of parents used it as a teaching moment for their kids. I know I did. And it was unacceptable in my mind 
that 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 anyone would have looked past that and said, well, I like, you know, but his policies are such and such. To me, treating human beings with dignity and showing respect between gender is the utmost importance and has become my mission ever since my story broke. I mean, imagine hearing that tape for me. It was very personal. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Why do you think the same thing didn't happen to Donald Trump that has happened to Harvey Weinstein? Because he's an elected official. I mean, you're not going to, like I said earlier. it came out before he was president. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. What is it that made him capable of doing that, of that, you know, coming through with, like, audio tape, like, video, like, whatever, like, Mm -hmm. actually more, you know, media kind of confirmation? The only thing I can say about that is that having covered politics for 25 years in television news, there has been no other person that has been able to get away with the kind of comments and behaviors and outright fabrications. I've never seen that ever before in politics. And as all those events continued through the candidacy, people would say, well, this will be the final blow, you know, because he said that about John McCain, or this will be the the final blow because the Access Hollywood tape came out, or this will be the final blow because he said he could shoot people on Fifth Avenue and, and he'd still, you know, be able to win. And each time a more outrageous thing was said that any other candidate would have fallen from in two seconds. Mm -hmm. He did not. And what does that say about the American culture? What does it say? I don't know, because I'm not a psychologist. But but, but what I would say is that for whatever reason, there was so much anger percolating amongst Americans on both sides, actually. I mean, that's how you had the birth of Bernie Sanders, too. You know, they were both deemed these outsider candidates. And there was so much anger about nothing getting done in Washington that both political sides wanted somebody that was going to go in and blow it up. And so my only explanation for it is that that deep-seated anger allowed a certain group of people, a lot of people, to just put on blinders to anything else he said. All they cared about was go to Washington and blow it up. Mm-hmm. Is he? I don't want to talk about. I'm so tired of him. But <laughs> there's some mastery of the media. I mean, he seems like he's just kind of a loose cannon, but he must know something that's no one else has ever known in what he's doing. And I think it's probably just you know causing so much confusion that it just makes people constantly talk about him. But I mean, I think the big question is whether or not it's orchestrated or it's just off the cuff. I mean, that's what I think about when I look at it. I've known him for 27 years, so I will tell you this. He is a master marketer, and he's done that with his television shows, and he used to come on, uh, and I would interview him, and he would say that The Apprentice was the number one show on TV, and I would actually say back to him live, actually, it's not, you know? And then he'd say, oh, yes, it is, Gretchen. I'd say, no, it's not, Donald. He's writing like revisionist and history in he real was. time. Yeah. And then people at home are thinking to themselves, wow, I should really be watching that number one show on yeah. television before you know it, it's the number one show on television. And so knowing him like that, it didn't surprise me to see him use the same kind of populist messaging in his campaign speeches. And and he knew what the American people wanted to hear, whether or not that ever came true or whether or not he ever plans to pass any of those laws or policies or get behind them, I have no idea. But I, I, I tell you that story because I believe it was analogous to how he actually won. You know, he he does have a knack for knowing what people want to hear. Now, whether or not that's orchestrated, 
Yeah. Or it's just off the cuff when he wakes up every morning. Yeah. Who knows? We're going to talk with Gretchen more in a minute. But first, I'd like to talk to you about how I'm buying delicious organic food without the high prices. How? I love Thrive Market. Uh, Thrive Market is basically like your grocery store, but at wholesale prices. Um, They have all of the top premium healthy and organic products. And unlike your typical organic and non-GMO products that are marked up to crazy prices, Thrive Market sells them at wholesale prices. And Jericho, I know you're always checking ingredients to see if they're really vegan. Sometimes. And you try to get your Vegemite. I do. And, well, Thrive Market has it all for you. Uh, with a click of a button, their entire catalog sorts everything that is vegan, you know, gluten-free, basically whatever your food restriction is, you can shop with that food restriction. How do they give us the wholesale prices, though? Uh, They work directly with the brands, and then they pass the savings on to their members. And for everyone who signs up, Thrive Market donates a membership to a low-income family, veteran, or teacher. So together, we're making the whole world healthier. That's a company that I'm honored to support. So instead of, like, 15 different olive oils that you could find at Whole Foods or your regular grocery store, they have curated the best two to three olive oils. And you can trust that their markets will be sourced from the best of the best ingredients at the most affordable prices. They do all of the homework for you. We love curation. I have decision fatigue every day. Thrive Market is for me. So Girl Boss Radio listeners, get $60 of free organic groceries and free shipping and a free 30-day trial membership by going to thrivemarket.com slash girlboss. And keep in mind, their prices are 25 to 50% below retail because they cut out the middlemen and middlewomen. And now they're offering $60 of free organic groceries and free shipping. Go to thrivemarket.com slash girlboss. In Be Fierce, Gretchen provides us with a playbook of sorts designed to help you navigate the excruciatingly difficult process of coming forward with your story. I asked Gretchen to walk us through the 12 steps women can take if they are contemplating coming forward. First of all, there's two types of sexual harassment. There's quid pro quo, which is actually the much more obvious one, which is, for example, you know, if you sleep with me, I'll give you a promotion. Um, Shockingly, for the thousands of women who reached out to me after my story broke, I would say that 99% of the stories were so outrageous that there was no subjectivity whatsoever. So most of them were quid pro quo. Now, the other category is a hostile work environment. And that's where subjectivity comes into play a little bit more. So, for example, if somebody says a lewd joke or has porno up on their you know, computer screen – how I happen to react to that may be different to how you react to it. And that's where the subjectivity comes into it. And I actually think that that's where the waters have been muddied in this because people people will say, well, you just couldn't take a joke, right? Mm-hmm. But but what you think is offensive, I may not, but that doesn't mean that you're not right. Yeah. And so, again, I'll just say that the majority of the women who reached out to me, it wasn't about a joke, Okay, it was about something like so outrageous that when a woman asked for a promotion, the guy told her to get up on the desk and spread them. I mean, there's no subjectivity there. Okay, Uh, or uh, another woman who her dream was to be in advertising. And when she was at a cocktail party with her male colleagues, they wrote down on a cocktail napkin 
uh, the sexual favors she could do for them, and then maybe they'd think about giving her an office with a window. There's no subjectivity about whether or not that is sexual harassment. So those are the those are the two kinds. Chapter four in my book is really my playbook for women, and this is something that I really wanted to be a part of the book because it doesn't really exist right now for women. Exactly the 12-point plan that you need to have and go through if you find yourself in one of these situations. And I'll just give you the top three headlines. I mean, first and foremost, I really believe that you should consult an attorney right away because human resources is not 100% always your friend. It's not always the best place to go to. Although I've heard from tons of great people who work in those departments, you have to remember who's paying their check. Mm -hmm. And it could be the harasser. Mm -hmm. So it could be a conflict of interest. So consult a lawyer to see. Also, the laws are so different in every state. So it's just really important to do that. And then document, document, document. You know, write down, this happened to me on March 4th at 10 a.m. And here's exactly what happened. And then the most important thing is to bring that home. I talked to countless women in the book who documented, but then they were fired as a result of coming forward, and they kept all their stuff at work, and they could never go back to their offices. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So that is just essential that you document and keep it home. And then as hard as it is, I advise women to tell two trusted colleagues, because in this he said, she said culture that we still live in, you need to have people who will say, yeah. Emily told me your witnesses. You know, yeah. Emily told me that this happened to her, and suddenly it becomes more real. Just like in any other case, when you have somebody who can have an alibi for you or a witness or say, "Yes, she just didn't make this up out of thin air." There are nine other points that I have in in chapter four that I encourage women to uh, really get their hands on. What I thought was so powerful about the Weinstein news was seeing the Hollywood women join forces to expose him. Was there anybody that stood by you to come forward? No. No. That's important, actually, because— Seems like it. One of these quotes that I you know, keep on my screensaver of my laptop, it's actually an anonymous quote. I wish I could credit somebody for saying this because I say it every single day to myself, which is, one woman can make a difference, but together we rock the world. And I think about that every single day because look where we are today with all these women coming together, Right. Sometimes it takes one or two or five or six or however many to ignite a firestorm. Cultural shifts don't happen quickly, but my goodness, look what's happened in only 15 months since my story broke. Yeah. You know, it's really amazing that women have been able to dig deep and find the courage to come forward in mass. And then not only was it the Weinstein story, women coming forward, it's been other executives and then the Me Too hashtag, which just took off like wildfire. Yeah. And as sad as those stories were to go through and read, it really said to me that it was a moment in time where women were not going to go back into the shut up mode. You know, they, mm -hmm. they had really decided that this was their moment in time to speak up and, and have a voice. And that makes me incredibly proud. Gretchen's book, Be Fierce, is really about being inspired to be fierce in every aspect of your life in which you feel like you're not being heard. And for women, when we get into the workplace, we still don't really have a voice, and then we're not paid equally, we don't get a seat in the boardroom, and we don't get the promotions that we deserve. So I set up a fund after my story broke called The Gift of Courage. And the reason we initially thought of that was because GC is my initials, Gretchen Carlson, but also because... Really what's happening right now is that 
each woman who comes forward is giving the gift of courage to the next to do that. And I'm very proud to announce that all the proceeds from the book are going back into that fund because I think it's incredibly important to keep that going to empower women and girls, and that's what my fund does. That's great. Yeah, it would be interesting if there was a fund or maybe you can do this with your fund where, you know, women who are fired in retaliation for coming forward, there's something that kind of scoops them up in, and provides, you know, legal services or even just helps offset the, you know, their overhead for a period of time. Because, well, funny you should mention that. Yeah. So an offshoot of my fund is the Gretchen Carlson Leadership Initiative, which is exactly what you're just talking about. So I'm funding through my uh, fund money for women in nine cities, a tour that we're doing where they can come for three days of workshops. It's specifically designed for women who don't have any means, for underserved women who need legal help, who need advice on sexual harassment, and how to have a voice more actively and civically in life. So that's kicking off in November in Dallas-Fort Worth, and then it moves on to Minneapolis, which is where I'm from, then Charleston, South Carolina. If people want more information, they can go to aitogether.org and sign up and come to all these workshops for free. That's so great. And, you know, we're talking about the, right now really the women who don't have an, a household name. And we've seen a lot of household names come forward, and they're the ones who really have bolstered the stories of the women who have come forward, but we might not know about them. Mm-hmm. I think using the media is incredibly important. A lot of people don't know how to use the media to alert their friends or colleagues or people in an industry about who we should be on the lookout for because you can sue anybody, but the press may not pick up on it. I think exposing the abusers is part of ending it and just shining a light on what's not okay. Mm-hmm. What would you what advice might you have for someone who doesn't have a platform but wants to get some attention for um, their, you know, allegations against someone who has sexually harassed them. Mm-hmm. So first of all, that was the impetus for writing the book because I wanted to share all of these women's stories. And they told me time after time, thank you for being our voice because they didn't have one. So that was the first step in writing the book. But also, I really believe that social media has played a critical role in this. As much as I have a lot of trolls <laughs> who come after me on a daily basis in a negative way, I actually believe that social media has really helped to generate keeping these stories alive. And it gives women an outlet to come forward for the first time and say, here's what happened. If you go back and look at the Uber case that came out with a woman engineer who worked there, Susan Fowler, after my story, the way she got her messaging out there was simply to write a blog. And then it went viral because a couple people saw it. And the next thing you know, she was becoming a national phenomenon, right? Mm -hmm. So if we didn't have social media or blogs, you know, how would her story have gotten out there? Mm -hmm. So I think that's a, a wonderful example of how women actually really do have the power to message by using what the technology has given us in 2017. I also have encouraged women to call the media to tell their story. Um, I think a lot of times they're fearful to do that, but especially right now. There should just be a hotline that's like shared, you know. But but right now, media is very interested in finding women who are going through this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, strike when the iron's hot. Maybe like two years ago before my story, nobody would have been interested in covering this. 
But now, I think every local market, because of so much dialogue about this, is much more apt to pay attention to your story. Let's hope that doesn't end. Mm-hmm. I don't want to think it's a trend. How do you handle bullying? You said you mentioned trolls. <laughs> And that's another word for bullying. Um, And when any woman comes forward with a personal story or anyone really for that matter or we're just not normal in one way or another, you know, the the bored people of the world with too much time on their hands and usually bad opinions will jump on us and um, make us feel bad about ourselves. How do you handle the trolls? And have they ever gotten you down? (laughs) Uh, Well, yes, of course. I'm human. Uh, But as I said, my skin became very thick from my Miss America experience and then just being in the media in general. But I actually opened the book with some of the comments that I see on a daily basis from trolls like, shut the hell up and go back to Minnesota. You know, you wish you were sexually harassed. You're too ugly to be sexually harassed. I hope nobody ever hires you, skank. Um, These are the types of things that I see daily. Uh, And listen, if if I wanted to just concentrate on that, I'd never come out of the house. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes when I'm feeling extra wily, I'll respond to some of these. And, you know, when somebody talks about my physicality, I'll say, oh, I'm sure you're a perfect 10. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll actually retweet some of these people that think they're able to come after me anonymously. And then I'll say to the rest of the world, this is what we're up against. This misogyny. Mm-hmm. You know, as an see, see below this ignorant person. Right. I will say this, though, about trolls. Since the Weinstein story broke, and since we've had more revelations about other men being fired as a result of women coming forward, the majority of the trolls that I used to see have suddenly vanished. And I'd like to think that they're being shamed finally, Uh right? And that there's been so many more people with the positive voice of supporting the women that are coming forward and the men defending them, that the trolls are finally realizing, oh, crap, you know, we don't have as much leverage anymore. That's at least been my unscientific study. That's the power of the media, you know, whether it's entertainment or just straight up news and people coming forward with their stories, you popularize something and the people who can't think for themselves jump right on board. Mm -hmm. And it can be a good thing. Right. Um, So you mentioned having thick skin. Mm -hmm. I only have a couple more questions, but I'm someone who has had to have very thick skin at different points in my career. I understand that. And the tough thing about having thick skin is being soft sometimes. Is that something that challenges you? And is there anything that you do for yourself or any rituals or hmm. even a moment that you can think of where that like helps you shift out of the thick skin? Because while it's great to have thick skin and we can build careers on having thick skin, it can also harm other parts of our lives, especially as women when, you know, we're not engineered just to have thick skin. Mm-hmm. Well, I've done a lot of solitary things in my life, so I believe entirely in the power of the mind. And I spend a lot of time visualizing, actually. So when I'm feeling down or not in control of something, I visualize where I want to end up. And so I think that that's incredibly important to spend that alone time with yourself and seeing yourself in a positive light and actually achieving the goal that's in front of you. I also, in the last year since my story broke, have started Pilates. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a big believer in working out because it's just a stress reliever for me. But especially speaking of the mind, Pilates is, is I don't know if you've ever done it or not, but it's, it's such a small muscle thought process, you know, and you really have to concentrate so hard. And I have found it to be not only invigorating and 
better for my body and relaxing, but it rejuvenates my mind. Um, So that's been something that I've turned to. And um, honestly, my, my kids, I mean, I always wanted to be a mom, no matter how hard I worked and how successful I wanted to be at my job. And being able to spend a little bit more time with them and not worry so much about looking at two devices <laughs> and figuring out how to fit everything in and really taking the time to listen to some of their concerns has really given me perspective. And um, that certainly has a, a calming nature about it, too, that maybe I didn't always appreciate. Yeah. So I'm a host, but it's not the only thing that I do. It's something, you know, I have this podcast, but I haven't pursued a career in hosting, but I'm still learning the ropes. Do you have any advice, just any like bullet point or bullet points on like how to be a good host? So I wish if I could tell my younger person to have started this earlier, which is to take risks. Okay. Women especially, we, we like we don't really want to cross over the line where we have this like perfectionist demon that I like to call it. And I call myself now a reformed perfectionist. Uh, I think it's really important to not always be perfect. And one of the ways in which you do that is to just take little mini risks every single day and go out of your comfort zone. And once you do that, you you realize, wow, that wasn't so bad. you know. And it's a way of building self-confidence. For me in TV, it was, okay, how do you take a risk? Not like get the story wrong. I don't mean that. Uh-huh. I, I mean like maybe the way in which I'm going to do this live report, I'm not going to do it like everyone else does it. I'm going to you know, walk backwards or I'm going to – I mean I don't know. But think of something that's out of the box. Uh-huh. And you know, when I started actually doing that, it wasn't until I was in my 30s. And it was so liberating actually. It really was because – People noticed it, and it also makes you so much more unique when you take those little risks and you're not like everyone else. So that's what I would encourage you to do um, and not feel like you have to fit some sort of format and be like everyone else who does a podcast. Yeah, that's Um, a scary thing on live TV. I'm highly edited. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know, but but I I really, really recommend it. Um, And I keep a plaque actually on my desk in my office at home now that's all about risks and it says the person who doesn't risk doesn't live love you know sense of adventure anything i mean you might be safe in life it's true but you will never live it to the fullest the only reason i've had an interesting life is because i've taken really wild risks and you're off to a good start thanks what does success mean to you so what we do at girl boss media is really rethinking this concept of success that the world that you've spent your career in, the world that we all really exist in, the world that I'm building companies kind of peripherally peripherally around, was built by and for these guys like Bill (laughs) O'Reilly. And that's why so much of these things are allowed to exist. And that's why success is supposed to be financial and about, you know, getting the promotion. And those things are great. We can't think about the rest of our life without having paid our rent or our mortgage. But I think success could be so much more. What does success mean for you? Mm -hmm. First and foremost, it means making the most of my talents. Um, I really feel that that's like a central obligation to why we're here, to make a difference, and to understand and embrace the fact that life works in mysterious ways and that your mission may change at a moment's notice. And mine has. You know, it's... 
I would have never expected to be the face of this issue right now. But what I deem as successful is taking the bull by the horns and actually making a difference with it. So whether that's lobbying to Congress to try and change laws or writing this book, I think success is when you realize that you've done all the work that you possibly can, but that the end result actually evokes change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the goal with everything that both of us are doing is that we no longer need to have this conversation, (laughs) right? (laughs) Right. I know you're goal-oriented. And we have another thing called Girl Boss Moments on this podcast, which is the time in your week or month, um, the thing you can think of most recently, where you felt like you were in charge of your life because you're on a book tour. You're like, oh, my God, I can't believe I signed up for this. There's hair and makeup people in my face. Like, I know what it's like to be run by your own calendar, even if you chose to do that thing, you know. It's easy to lose those moments that, that we that we have to like afford ourselves to feel like we're in control of our lives. What would you say your most recent girl boss moment was? Crying my eyes out at seeing so many other women come forward. Yeah. And knowing that I may have played a role in that. Yeah. It's overwhelming. Yeah. That's a good one. Do you ever turn the violin into a fiddle? No. Okay. They're two separate crafts. <laughs> okay. Um, actually, when, when I was competing in Miss America, a lot of pageant people said, well, you know you have to fiddle to win. I was like, but that's actually not my talent. I'm like morally opposed to the fiddle. I played the violin growing Oh, up. you did? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hats off to people who can play the fiddle and Orange Blossom special. That's not my specialty. Yeah. Uh, but but – and it was so funny because one of the women who actually chastised me the most happened to be sitting behind my parents after I performed my violin at the pageant. And she tapped them on the shoulder and she said, oh, I'm so sorry. I guess I was wrong to suggest the fiddle. A classical violin was what she should be doing. Oh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, no, no fiddling. Uh, I actually don't perform the regular classical violin anymore either. I should. Is the violin clip from – is it on YouTube of, of mm-hmm. the pageant? Okay, cool. I'm going to find it. Yeah. Thank you so much for Thanks. coming on Girl Thanks Boss Radio. And where can we find your book and more about what you do? Yes, so GretchenCarlson.com forward slash be fierce. Uh, you can find all my information about my fund there and how to purchase my book and just more about the mission that I'm on, my work on Capitol Hill, et cetera. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. So at this point, we might have some tickets left for the Girl Boss Rally. If you want to go, go to girlboss.com slash rally. Please subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends about it. Like us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, anywhere social media is found. Our tag is usually just Girl Boss. I'm Sophia Amoruso. I'll see you next week.